0: Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya vasudevaya. So we are on chapter 33 of the Put my ring in here. Oh, here it is. Of the tenth canto, oh, the tenth canto, third canto, <laughs> and uh, we'll see how far we get today with that. Om Agiyanatam Randasya, Gyananjana Shalakaya, Chakshuramilitam Yena, Tazmai Sri Gurave Namaha. So this chapter. Um, has, uh, um, it has the prayers of Devahuti, and verses six and seven are especially important. Uh, they're commented on at length by Srila Prabhupada and by previous Acharyas, and are certainly very, very important for the uh, members of the Krishna consciousness movement. Um, they talk about how uh, qualification is not by birth but by quali- but by qualities. Uh, and um and so that's included in the prayers of Devahuti. And uh after that, then we hear Lord Kapiladev's um reply to her, and then we hear about Devahuti achieving perfection after uh um her son leaves. And um Then we hear a little bit at the end of Maitreya Muni uh, giving a little summary. So, let's begin. Sri Maitreya said, Thus, Devahuti, the mother of Lord Kapila and wife of Kardamamuni, became freed from all ignorance concerning devotional service and transcendental knowledge. She offered her obeisances unto the Lord, the author of the basic principles of the Sankhya system of philosophy, which is the background of liberation, And she satisfied him with the following verses of prayer. So these are her prayers to uh, her son, who happens to be the Supreme Personality of Godhead. She said, Brahma is said to be unborn because he takes birth from the lotus flower which grows from your abdomen while you lie in the ocean at the bottom of the universe. But even Brahma simply meditated upon you whose body is the source of unlimited universes, thank you so so you know she, he, he uh, she's contextualizing the prayer because right? it might just be hey, I'm just talking to my son you know and and you know who doesn't which parent doesn't kind of think that their son is or daughter is special right <laughs> uh we used to joke around some of my friends because um uh Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur was called a ray of Vishnu, right? And so uh you know when somebody uh, had a had a child, we'd say, Well, do you think she, he's a ray? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> think he's a ray? <laughs> you know, like that. So so in order to contextualize that, she brings in this point about Brahma, right, who has this incredibly long life and is the engineer of the universe and is called Aja, right, without uh, uh, father or mother, so to speak, right? Um, and, and so he grows out of the lotus of Kapila in a different incarnation, of course, as Vishnu, right? Uh, And saying that you are the source of that Vishnu who um, is a source of unlimited universes. So contextualizing and explaining that she's not just praying because she thinks her son's kind of, you know, special. Text three, my dear Lord, although personally you have nothing to do, you have distributed your energies in the interactions of the material modes of nature. So he has nothing to do with this material world in the sense that he's not entangled in the good and bad of this world, in the the three modes of material nature. He says, and for that reason, the creation, maintenance, and dissolution of the cosmic manifestation takes place. My dear Lord, you are self-determined. I mean, he does what he wants to do. No one can say to this, you know, he, yeah. Uh, and are the supreme personality of Godhead of all living entities. For them, you created this material, and then here's the purpose of the material world. For them, you created this material manifestation. And although you are one, your diverse energies act multifariously. This is inconceivable to me. So we say that verse, parashya shaktir, vividhaya suyate, that, Um, In one sense, in a very real sense, we can say there's only two things in this world. There's God and God's energies. There's Krishna and his energies. And we mainly play around with the material energy. (laughs) So the last paragraph, Srila Prabhupada writes about the purpose of creation. Why is the creation made? Since the Lord is the Supreme Personality of Godhead of all living entities... He created this material manifestation for those living entities who wanted to enjoy or lord it over material nature. He arranges to fulfill their various desires. It is confirmed also in the Vedas, Eko Bahunam Yo Vidadati Kahaman. The Supreme One supplies the the necessities of the many. Oops, sorry, I got lost for a second. Of the many living entities. There is no limit to the demands of the different kinds of living entities. And the Supreme One, the Supreme Personality of Godhead alone, maintains them and supplies them by his inconceivable energies. Mm. So there's no limit to our demands. And he maintains us and supplies us by his inconceivable energies. It doesn't mean when he says uh, earlier um, He arranges to fulfill their various desires. Well, you know, that's within context <laughs> Right um, First deserve then desire she'll probably say you know, based on our karma based on our activities We get what we uh, deserve so to speak Any thoughts on this? Yes, Uh, do we have a microphone? Yep, back there.
1: Hare Krishna. As I was reading this uh, verse on the purport, the thing that struck me was how compassionate and kind the Supreme Lord is. Mm. So even though the living entities want to enjoy independently away from him, He says, okay, I will give you the facilities for doing so, and at the same time, I will also help you to correct your tendencies and connect back with me. Right. So um, So he
0: gives us both both opportunities. Yeah, so
1: kind, so compassionate.
0: So you're showing a devotional viewpoint. A person without a devotional viewpoint might say, why is he playing games with us? right why not let us go to vaikuntha where there's no anxiety right why do we have to mess around with these three modes of material nature so someone may you know criticize like that but the reality is he's just giving us what we want right yeah yeah that's coming to terms with that is an important part about making advancement in krishna consciousness Coming to terms with the fact that if we if we find if we do feel that we're in a mess, um, then think about who caused the mess, right? Um, and that was ultimately our choice. And that is. Um, what, uh, was anyone here for Dina Bandhubu's program last night? No. Okay, he spoke. You know, Dina Bandhubu, right? Yeah, he spoke here. Um, I, I wasn't there, but my wife told me what he said. Let me see if I get it right. Uh, to blame yourself is human. To blame others is more human. <laughs> I, think, I think that's what he said. Were you there? No. Uh, something along those lines, yeah. Uh, yeah. I was, uh, we, my wife came here for Dina Bundabu's so and I went to Gopal uh deity installation in only. Um, yes, so it, it is coming to terms with that if we're in a difficult situation, uh, we caused it. We may not um, have memory of the cause, because it's karma sometimes from a previous life, but we can't blame others. And that's that takes some thoughtfulness and some maturity and also some kripa, some mercy to uh, have that realization and to especially if we can have it as an ongoing part of our consciousness not just sporadically sometimes it enters our mind but to have it fixed in a real nishta way in a real way of steadiness is um, one part of being a good devotee being Krishna conscious it also means that we are um, if we're influenced by the modes of material nature it's primarily the mode of goodness mode of goodness helps us to be thoughtful. Hmm. Other thoughts on this thoughtfulness? Yes.
2: Hare Krishna. So, as I was uh, again reading and kind of like, uh, this chapter itself gives so much insight and this verse specifically as how nitya leela makes you realize that the eternal pastimes of the Lords are continuously going on. So, they are like, you know, sometimes we see in the TV, I was trying to make an analogical relationship, that they are advertisements that pull us down into a sense gratification direction, right? They're constantly going on. While Lord, He's having this Nitya the eternal pastimes, and we get the glimpse of the spiritual world and the, and the glories of, you know, the Supreme Personality of Godhead as how merciful He is, how compassionate He is, and how He is constantly, you know, Giving shelter, ready to give shelter to any living entity who wants to take the shelter. So that's like a spiritual advertisement, constantly going on, and you know, opening the door. Spiritual (laughs) advertisement. Yes.
0: Yeah. Very good. Yeah. I mean, if you actually, if you, um, not that we suggest uh, watching television all the time, but if you do watch television and you, or are some one way or another subject to advertisements. Um, you can analyze them and usually uh, I think a, a pretty fair advertisement is that they're trying to at, uh, attract one of the eight senses or some combination of them, right? Usually one of the five main senses, but uh, but then mind, intelligence and certainly our ego, you know, yeah. <laughs> yes, Maamantra. Uh,
3: Pro, I'm just trying to understand uh, the compassion or merciful nature of Lord uh And the free will of the living entity mm-hmm. like Krishna has laid out the plan pretty much for everyone to go- to go back right without any reservance like i mean he's giving the opportunity to everyone, and uh, that's what I feel is. So that's most, the most compassion part. Compassion. But what
0: about the free will part?
3: Uh, we just have to walk that path. That's all. Choose, choose that. Yeah. So <laughs> my, co- my point was like, I mean, he has already given it. That's what I feel.
0: He's given, but we aren't uh, always taking it. You know, <laughs> we haven't. Have, that's I, our free will. <laughs> it's just like if you're stuck in a, what is the example? Sometimes you're stuck in a well and someone can send you down a rope. But you ultimately have to grab onto the rope, you might be thinking, "Ah, oh, that rope is actually just illusion, or i don 't think the person at the top I weigh two hundred pounds i don 't think the person at the top has enough strength <laughs> to pull me up right or it 's or it 's kind of nice in this well right there 's that example there 's some honey there 's a beehive above it, and there 's some honey dripping yeah. down sometimes right? <laughs> yeah but it's uh but it is our minute it is uh, if we look at it from an existential level all we really have is that well one of the main things we have is that free will to choose because the body we don't have forever even the mind changes on a moment's notice but that free will to turn uh, to Krishna is always there even if we're in the biggest mess you could imagine we've done everything wrong we've totally messed up our life we can become Krishna conscious in a moment, turn again to Krishna Andy. I think you had your hand up or something. Is that
4: all right well, just do you feel like uh, Deva is kind of extending the knowledge because her eyes are opened because she's extending the knowledge? yeah, because he didn't really in the past of what we've been reading, he didn't really give a whole system of philosophy. he gave like an outline right. Of Saint that's not a whole philosophy so what she's saying now is like kind of her enlightenment now that she's accepted it um,
0: well that's interesting you say that because it's only what seven prayers yeah. uh, so I was thinking of it in the other way that she's giving the essence of what what she learned and yeah. that could be in some ways not beyond it but her putting it all together, this is what I've understood, kind of thing. Oh, okay. Like that. Yeah, that's
4: what I wasn't... Yeah. Because I that could was, go back and read it and make sure if she's recapitulating points... Or she, she's
0: recapitulating it. with her, just like Srila Prabhupada told us, that we should speak the Krishna conscious philosophy in our own words. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So she's taking all this that she learned from her brilliant son. And, of course, it's not that necessarily every word that they spoke is in the Bhagavatam. Yeah. Right? Um, And then she's kind of giving the sar, sar in Sanskrit, or is it Bengali? Sar in Sanskrit means essence. Essence of it. Okay,
4: thank you.
0: Okay. Good comments. As a Supreme Personality of Godhead, you have taken birth from my abdomen. Oh, my Lord, how is that possible for the Supreme One who has in his belly all the cosmic manifestation? The answer is that it is possible, for at the end of millennium, you lie down on a leaf of a banyan tree, and just like a small baby, you lick the toe of your lotus feet. The last paragraph? Well, um, yeah. We could read the, well, we could read the whole thing, but you, you read, yeah, since all the great sages and devotees apply all energy and all activities in the service of the lotus feet of the Lord, there must be some transcendental pleasure in the toes of his lotus feet. The Lord licks his toes to taste the nectar for which the devotees always aspire. Sometimes the Supreme Personality of Godhead wonders how much transcendental pleasure is within himself, and in order to taste his own potency, he sometimes takes the position of tasting himself. Lord Chaitanya is Krishna himself, but he appears as a devotee to taste the sweetness of the transcendental mellow in himself, which is tasted by Srimati Radharani, the greatest of all devotees, so this is if you know if somebody a person who 's not familiar with Krishna consciousness read this, they would like, huh, <laughs> right, but for a devotee they they laugh and they they chuckle uh, and then and then this point that um, relating this statement by Devahuti to Chaitanya mahaprabhu, right, who came as uh, Krishna in the mood of Srimati Radharani to taste the happiness that the devotee tastes. Because he was because Krishna was you know was a little bewildered that I'm such I'm eternally knowledge and bliss. But there's some people that are much more seem much more blissful than me. And that's my devotees. So let me, you know, find out what the mood of a devotee is and experience that happiness. So he came as the internal reason he came as Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to um, experience, what was it, experience the bliss? There's three points in Chaitanya me to fourth chapter. Does anyone know? Three reasons of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's internal reasons for his descent. I think it's fourth chapter, maybe third. The one is to taste the happiness. I think another one is to maybe experience the beauty That's the next chapter. I think that maybe that's chapter four. Chapter three is the internal. Anyway, we can research if there's three. But they're all related to Srimati Radharani um, coming in the bhava, the mood of Srimati Radharani. Very, very exalted. three The three internal reasons for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu coming, descending as an incarnation. Of course, he doesn't come exactly as an incarnation. Sometimes he's called Avatari, the source of all other avatars, because he's Krishna himself. But in the mood of Radharani, that's why he's golden in form. That's one form, that's one reason, because he has the mood of Srimati Radharani. And so he also comes to teach us how to be devotees. Okay, next verse, chapter of text 5. My dear Lord, you have assumed this body in order to diminish the sinful activities of the fallen and to enrich their knowledge in devotion and liberation. So, more reasons why he descends. Since these sinful people are dependent on your direction, by your own will you assume incarnations as a bore and as other forms. Similarly, you have appeared in order to distribute transcendental knowledge to your dependents. To say nothing of the spiritual advancement of persons who see the Supreme Person face-to-face, even a person born in a family of dog-eaters immediately becomes eligible to perform Vedic sacrifices if he once utters the holy name of the Supreme Personality of Godhead or chants about you, hears about... Oh, Krishna... Um, Hears about his pastimes, offers his obeisances, or even remembers him. My um, computer database sometimes crashes, and it just crashed. So in the, uh, so first let's, while we're waiting for Mike. Um, okay, I just don't have the highlighted points there. But uh, the, um, this point about, you know, sometimes we may ask ourselves, why is dog eaters asked, mentioned mm-hmm. so much? Right? You know why not chicken eaters or cow eaters or right? It it's it's just that it's considered uh. um you are what you eat, <laughs> right? And it's just considered the lowest possible kind of consciousness one can have to sustain oneself in that way. Right? Even uh what was it? The Olympics were held in Korea some years ago? And many and of course this is a different consciousness than the Bhagavatam's writing in, but uh, many countries decided not to attend the Olympics because they, they eat dogs there and, they, and they, there's like shops that sell dog meat. So they closed all those shops down during the Olympics. But uh, anyway, that's so that the point is not exactly the dog, but it's just, it's used as the uh, example of the very, very, very low consciousness, right? And that's why it's repeated in many, many different places, right? Um, But here it's being said, uh, and it's a very important statement, right, that uh, even if one, and so basically we're saying even if one is born or has these incredibly unhealthy uh, habits, if they take to devotional service, if they take to chanting the holy names, um, they can be, they can be purified. Not only they can be purified, they can perform Vedic sacrifices, which is usually the property of the, uh, you know, paka, paka, paka brahmanas, right? So, and and beyond that, as Srila Prabhupada writes in his uh, purports, and I just, it just crashed again, which is really unfortunate. Because what I have is I have the highlighted, Uh, things that I wanted to read. But anyway, um, this is the second paragraph. After considering here, uh, another consideration here is that persons who are purified by the process of chanting and hearing become immediately eligible to perform Vedic sacrifices. Generally only a person is born in a family of Brahmanas who has been reformed by the ten kinds of purificatory processes. What are some of those processes? Garbhadang-sanskara, Diksha, Um, that's a different list, Uh, Namakarna, the giving of the holy name, the first day of school, um, marriage, viva yajna right, these different uh, samskars, right. Um, and, who has, and who has learned in Vedic literature is allowed to perform Vedic sacrifices. Here the word sadhya immediately is used and Sridhar Swami also remarks that one can immediately become eligible to perform Vedic sacrifices. A person born in a family of the low caste which is accustomed to eat dogs is so podi- positioned due to his past sinful activities but by chanting or hearing once in pureness or in an offenseless manner, he is immediately relieved of the sinful reactions. So again, this is highlighted um, uh, by our acharyas, by Srila Prabhupada as, oops, these are my reading glasses, I'm just so used to taking off glasses when I'm reading, um, as being very, very important verses. So, Jiva Goswami, he comments on these two verses and says that these texts explain that devotional service removes the results of past sins, even one's parabdha karma, the karma that affects this present body, even our parabdha karma. Um, He explains that the word swadha means a member of a caste of dog eaters, he then says that according to its grammatical derivation, the word swada means a person who presently eats dog's flesh, presently, as carnivorous animals eat the flesh of other creatures. Although other meanings of the word are possible, the rule rudhir yogam apaharati, customary usage takes precedence over etymology. Ep- epim- How do you pronounce that? Etymology, thank you. Uh, here eclipses all other definitions. Sri Swami has used the word swapacha, one who cooks dog meat, as a synonym for, for swadha, to specify, to specify that this verse is referring to a person from a lower class. Hmm. So it goes on and on and on. Um, Sri Jiva Swami next explains that. Uh, Savanaya refers to the Soma Yajna. Thus, by any of the activities of devotion, such as hearing the name of the Lord, the dog-eater's Parabdha karma is destroyed. This means that the karma by which such persons have attained their low birth is destroyed, and they are now given the respect offered to one qualified to perform the Soma Yajna. We can thus understand that bhakti destroys Parabdha sins. If this is true, even of those born in families of dog-eaters, then how much more true is it for devotees who are pious and of faultless character? So it goes on and on like that. Um, But one important point here is how you chant. So Prabhupada writes in the first canto, we read this a long time ago, In the Shastras, it is said that by once uttering the holy name of the Lord, the sinner gets rid of a quantity of sins that he is unable to commit. Such is the power of uttering the holy name of the Lord. There is not the least exaggeration in this statement. Actually, the Lord's holy name has such powerful potency. But there is a quality to such utterances also. It depends on the quality of feeling. A helpless man can feelingly utter the holy name of the Lord, whereas a man who utters the, holy, the same holy name in great material satisfaction cannot be so sincere. A materially puffed up person may utter the holy name, in, uh, holy name of the Lord occasionally, but is incapable of uttering the holy name in quality. Therefore, the four principles of material advancement, namely high parentage, good wealth, high education, and attractive beauty are, so to speak, disqualifications for progress on the path of spiritual advancement. 1-8-26. Yeah. There's a famous verse, a prayer of Queen Quinty. So, there you go. So, uh, this is the, so, you know, the, the point about the dog-eaters is, is to show the power of bhakti, show the power of devotion. So it's something to consider when we sit down and put our hands in our bead bag, that we're, we're dealing with a very powerful energy, very powerful energy. Microphone.
5: Hare Krishna. So the purport read that Bhakti destroys the prarabd karmas. Yes. So I was just thinking a little bit around it. I mean, I understand, but I'll hold the mic, I'll like ask this. You. I thought I'll ask you. Um, so, I mean, not judging or anything, just that thought came to my mind. Uh, sometimes very senior, I mean, even, I mean, we hear person who is a great devotee he goes through a lot of uh, uh, health conditions, situations, like cancer or something. Right. And uh, sannyasi or something. And there have been such bhaktas, great devotees. And so I was just wondering, like, uh, the bhakti. it said bhakti destroys prarab karmas. So, I mean, do you have some thoughts on that? Like,
0: we how to, how
5: to understand that? Because it's not like by magic... Things, miseries will not happen. I understand that. Miseries will happen in this material world. But at the same time, our role models, their footsteps yes. we are following, you know, and we seem, it seems the physical body is going through so much.
0: Well, there's different ways things. to answer that. One answer is that often Krishna uses our karma uh, teaching us necessary lessons. Uh, that's one thing. Secondly, um, uh, we 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 read different things in different places, right? We also say that when we take to Krishna consciousness, we we turn the fan off, right? But it still keeps going around for some time. Yeah. The example. That's another example that Srila Prabhupada gives. Um, so. Another way, another way to look at it is that therefore, what, for devotees, we should really see what happens to us as the blessings of Krishna. Body has to go, whether it's by cancer or car accident or old age um, or you know whatever. Um, what's that verse? Is the second chapter? Uh, how does Sanskrit go? For one who is born, death is certain. What's the first line? Jatasya hi janmam ritasya Very good. For one who is born, death is certain. And for one who dies, birth is certain. Therefore, in the unavoidable discharge of your duties, you should not lament. Right? That's English. Yeah. So, um, we can see, we, we try to see uh, Krishna's hands and things. And, Um, so it's tricky because, well, here, it, well, here's what we just said. Uh, there is not the least exaggeration in this statement. And then he says, but there is a quality to such utterances also. So for ourselves, at least we may think that, yes, the holy name can certainly do this, but am I chanting it with the right quality? And I know in my case, absolutely not, at this point in time. But maybe in the maybe in the future, <laughs> hopefully soon. So, uh, but when things happen to great devotees, of course, uh, you know we have that lesson. If we're talking about really you know, really exalted devotees, uh, look at the pandavas, right? They, they went through so much, and, so, and look at Srila Prabhupada, heart attacks on the jala Dutta getting the Bhagavad Gita manuscripts stolen um, at the age of mid to late 70s, trying to having to manage a worldwide movement. You know. um, but Krishna glorifies the devotee, right? I mean, it's in one sense, it's, uh, as we know, right, it would be a different story of Srila Prabhupada's life if he flew from uh, Delhi or Calcutta to uh, New York first class. And there, you know, someone gave him, you know, ten million dollar donation, and he could immediately buy a property in Manhattan, and uh, you know, and there were, you know, disciples being made by the truckloads and things like that. Right? Uh, it would be a different uh, story of his life. So that's another thing. And then ultimately, there's so many, so many different answers to your question. In the ninth chapter of the Bhagavatam, if you uh, first canto, if you remember, way back then, we. Uh, Bishma Dave said he was bewildered sometimes by understanding the Lord. You know what is the Lord's reason for doing things, and he said we could, you know, simply bow down to his his will as a time factor and have faith. So there was like four or five I just mentioned different ways to see what happens to okay, great Hare devotees. Kishan. Is that right? Yes, Amritpal.
3: morning I read that.
0: Yeah, that's the way to hold the mic, by the way, like like this, the way it's pointing right at my
3: mouth. Yeah. Um, by chanting the holy name, and especially the pure devotees, they are beyond the sins and sufferings, yet they pretend as if they are suffering like an ordinary person. That's the, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know, I think it's from Golok Mahatmya section of uh, Bharat Bhagavatam.
0: Yeah, well, hear, you know, we, we, we hear that from the Acharyas that it may appear that devotees are experiencing material existence like non-devotees. Right? But it's it's uh, appearance only. I gave uh, the example that's given that I, I think we've mentioned several times is about silk. Yeah. When you put silk next to fire. I've never tried this. But uh, um, and then you take it away from the fire. Uh, If you don't put it too close, it actually looks, gets blackened, but gets very hot. Uh, So the two pieces of silk, the one that wasn't near the fire and the one that was near the fire, look exactly the same. But if this one, if you just touch it a little bit, it crinkles and yeah, decomposes. Uh, So that's another example, another example that's given Mantegi for that Uh, seemingly the same thing. Pandavas went through so much. Trouble and tribulations. Vishmadev, uh, this great big warrior, was crying at the thinking about it. Okay, anything else? Yes.
2: Go ahead. I don't require. Uh, okay. Prabhuji uh, Hare Krishna. My question we have roamed around all the places, 12 Jyotirlingas, we both have seen in India. We have gone to Florida, Gainesville, we have gone to West Virginia, Baltimore. Therefore, yesterday we were in one of these con temples here only.
0: No wonder you are so happy. The
2: question is, uh, for chanting, do you have to do this marching? I, in my room, I am quiet, I am talking to him, I am chanting. Yeah. Is there a necessity to do this marching? I call it marching, basically, because <laughs> <laughs> my body is going from one place to the other. And
0: No, uh, no, it's not necessary. It's nice because the real purpose of going to holy places is to get the association of holy people. And those holy people can encourage us in our chanting and in our uh, hearing about Krishna. And in our puja, our worship, our uh, bhajan, and our puja. Um, so the real purpose of going to holy places is to um, is to get association and so get encouragement. But no, you're absolutely right. You can. Um, there's a verse that says that bhakti is haituki and apratiyata, which means that there's no uh, material barrier. That, like you said, one can chant. Krishna's name anywhere, and Abhinatvam Namanamino, the name of Krishna and the person Krishna are identical. So you're right, we can be Krishna conscious anywhere. Um, but seeking out the association of devotees is also very helpful in cultivating our bhakti. TK?
4: Well, I think we can all agree, though, that um, if you're really a pure devotee and you're really enlightened, you have no worries and no fears. Right. So you may project onto them that, boy, if I had cancer, I know I'd be feeling bad. But for them, it's probably not really the same if they're really uh pure, enlightened devotee. Yes. I mean, they wouldn't choose it, but they're not worried or afraid that's happening.
0: Right. Srila Prabhupada, the name that his father gave him was Abhai Charan, right? No, Yeah. By Charan, and then his Guru Maharaj made it by Taranaravinda. So at whose feet, at whose Charan, uh, the devotee is Abhai, or fearless. That doesn't mean that the, that devotees don't have human emotions sometimes. That That, that is also stated in the um, first canto by Srila Prabhupada, one of the purports, where he says that... Um, um, Yudhisthira Maharaj, after the battle of Kurukshetra was over, and he was established as the king, and I don't remember the exact same, but it was almost like, "That's what Yudhisthira said." <laughs> and and uh, Prabhupada said that you know devotees sometimes have that just natural human emotion that, that you know, "Gosh, finally that's over," you know because it's such a hair-raising experience. So I don't think, you know, uh, even a great devotee, if he first gets news of a terminal illness, um, might for a second think, oh, geez, you know, but then they'll remember Krishna, and uh, just like Srila Bhakti Tirta Maharaj, you know, had got news of his cancer, and he didn't at all let it stop him from... uh, um, doing so many, so many devotional activities and uh, teaching so many people. Jai Patakam Raj, he, he was attacked in Madrid years ago by some crazy person and continued with his service. Then he had a stroke and he continues doing his service. So um, devotees, uh, as Srila Prabhupada would sometimes quote that saying, make the best use of a bad bargain. So being in the material world is kind of a bad bargain. Having a material body is a bad bargain. But we, we make do. Yeah, thank you, Andy, for that. Okay, next verse. So I didn't, I didn't uh, tell you to read the purport because it's very s- similar points, a very long purport. Uh, oh, how glorious are those whose tongues are chanting the holy names. Even if born in the family of dog eaters, such persons are worshipable persons who chant the holy name of your lordship must have executed all kinds of austerities and fire sacrifices and achieved all the good manners of the Aryans. Now, of course that word Aryan has gotten a different connotation in the world uh, since uh, it was written 5,000 years ago. (laughs) Got hijacked by a certain person in Germany. But, uh, you know, to be chanting the holy name of your lordship, they must have bathed at holy places of pilgrimage, studied the Vedas, and fulfilled everything required. So you understand here that it doesn't necessarily mean literally they performed all these fires, et cetera, et cetera but that they, be, they get that qualification and more. We get that qualification and more by chanting. Again, it's the, the essence of this verse is the glorification of the holy name and the power of the holy name. Okay, Um, I should at least get, does anyone have the list of verses that I said to, yeah, what's the next one? Ten? Okay, so text eight, I believe my Lord that you are Lord Vishnu himself, so this is the last of her prayers, under the name of Kapila, and you are the supreme personality of Godhead, the supreme Brahman. The saints and sages being freed from all the disturbances of the senses and mind meditate upon you. For by your mercy, so she's saying, it's not just me as your mom who's saying this. (laughs) right? All the great sages um, and saints. Uh, By your mercy only can one become free from the clutches of the three modes of material nature. At the time of dissolution, all the Vedas are sustained in you alone. In, In you only. Thus, okay, so that's that, and now Maitreya says, Thus the Supreme Personality of God at Kapila, satisfied by the words of his mother, towards whom he was very affectionate, replied with gravity. Personality of God had said, My dear mother, the path of self-realization which I have already instructed to you is very easy. You can execute this system without difficulty, and by following it you shall very soon be liberated even within your present body. Prabhupada writes, uh, "Devotional service is so perfect that this is the beginning of the purport, that simply by following the rules and regulations and executing them under the directions of the spiritual master, one is liberated, as it is said herein, from the clutches of Maya, even in this body." That's the point. So it's not just like a post-dated check. That you'll go to heaven after this. But uh, one of my favorite statements by Srila Prabhupada is uh, devotional service and the kingdom of God are synonymous. So when you're washing the temple floor or chanting your rounds or reading the Bhagavatam or taking prasadam, you're in the kingdom, if you're in the right consciousness, we're in the kingdom of God. You don't have to wait. And therefore, you know, again, Truva Maharaj, when he left this world, uh, he, you know, it was like uh, thunder and lightning, right, leaving this world and entering the spiritual world, because he's already in the spiritual world by dint of his devotion. Could someone give me some more water? Is that possible? In the other, in other yoga yogic processes. Or in empirical philosoph- uh, philosophical speculation, one is never certain whether or not he is at the perfectional stage. But in the discharge of devotional service, if one has unflinching faith in the instructions of the bona fide spiritual master and follows the rules and regulations, he is sure to be liberated even within the present body. Srila Rupa Goswami in the Bhakti Rasamrita has, has confirmed this: "Iha yasya dasye." Regardless of where he is situated, anyone whose only aim is to serve the Supreme Lord under the direction of the spiritual master is called Jivan Mukta, or one who is liberated even within this material body. So, some thoughts on that? It's a a powerful point of just how, again, we're hearing about how powerful devotional services. Yes. Thank you, Prabhu.
1: Hare Krishna Prabhu. i think this this point like really emphasizes the importance of following the instructions of spiritual master very sincerely and faithfully because even though yeah we were, we might have been fortunate to come into contact with this powerful process, but once we have taken the next step of taking shelter of a spiritual master, then it as a disciple, my duty is to sincerely follow the instructions and practice devotional service under that guidance of the spiritual master Otherwise, the independent mentality is there always and we might think oh I have come into the process I know what I am doing and then I just keep doing my own way it's going to be conflicting
0: mm-hmm. yes and um in our society you know where we don't have like a mat where there's one spiritual master and the disciples or brahmacharyas living in that mat and there's daily interaction and things like that in our society we have a a an ocean of uh... uh shiksha gurus of uh, people who can uh, guide us even if we're not in the daily association of our diksha guru or our diksha guru has left this world um, yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, ISKCON is, uh, oh, it may not have been that different in, in, in Vedic times when, um, you know, there were, it was a whole different setup. There were a lot of gurus. Everyone, the, the culture, the majority of the culture was these leaning spiritually. Yeah. Okay. Text number 11. My dear mother, those who are actually transcendentalists certainly follow my instructions as I have given them to you. You may rest assured that if you traverse this path of self-realization perfectly, surely you shall be freed from fearful material contamination and shall ultimately reach me. Mother, persons who are not conversant with this method of devotional service certainly cannot get out of the cycle of birth and death. Okay, so then, so that's the end of Kapila's short Uh, conclusions with uh, his mom. Now Maitreya says, The Supreme Personality of God Kapila, after instructing his beloved mother, took permission from her and left his home, his mission having been fulfilled. As instructed by her son, Devahuti also began to practice bhakti yoga in that very ashram. She practiced samadhi in the house of Kardamamuni, which was so beautifully decorated with flowers that it was considered the flower crown of the river Saraswati. By the way, does anyone know the next verses that we, I, no, okay. She began to bathe three times daily and thus her curling black hair gradually became gray. Due to austerity, her body gradually became thin and she wore old garments. This was one of the purposes, I remember that much. Um, So Prabhupada says that brahmacharis, Bhana prasannyasis take bath three times a day. Um, At least in Vedic times. It may not be practical today. Um, These are practiced even by some grihasas, especially brahmanas. Uh, Devahuti was a king's daughter and almost a king's wife also. Although Kardamuni was not a king, by his yogic mystic power he accommodated Devahuti very comfortably in a nice palace with maid servants and all opulence. Oh, here's the point yes. Uh, but since she had learned austerity even in the presence of her husband, there was no difficulty for her to be austere. Still, because her body underwent severe austerities after the departure of her husband and son, she became thin. To be too fat is not very good for spiritually advanced life. Rather, one should reduce, because if one becomes fat, it is an impediment to progress in spiritual understanding. One should be careful not to eat too much, sleep too much, or remain in a comfortable position. Voluntarily accepting some penance and difficulties One should take less food and less sleep. So that, again, has to be um, done intelligently. Right? If one is uh, uh, cutting down on one's sleep and therefore falling asleep when driving or something like that, that is uh, not good. Srila Prabhupada places, say, six to eight hours of rest. Um, So we always have to take these things in... uh, in context of everything that Srila Prabhupada has said on the topic, or Shastra has said on the topic. But the idea of, uh, um, and one of the, you know, basically indirectly he's stating, and I guess not too many people in this room had that, well maybe they did in their younger days, had the fortune of being a brahmachari for some time, or um, uh, practicing austerities, um, and living a very simple life before married life. Because... uh, the advantage of that well, the advantage of that is many things, but one of the advantages is that when one gets older, one may not find it too difficult to revert back to a simpler life, uh, having experienced it in their in their youth, like that. you know like I told you many times right that a box about this big I could fit all my worldly belongings in when I was uh, a brahmachari. i don 't know if I could do that today, but uh, it might be easier for me having had that experience for 11 years um of my life mm. and uh and so we we want to uh, eventually get to the platform of uh eating to live not living to eat <laughs> right <laughs> cuz for some of us you know we uh, when we take to Krishna consciousness, eating, eating prasadam is one of our only kind of sense gratifications, especially if we're trying to follow the four regulated principles, right? Um, but as we get older, hopefully um, uh, we see that we can't just keep on eating um, five pieces of cheesecake and ten gulab jamans after every Sunday feast, <laughs> right, or whatever, and and gradually we see the wisdom in um, being a little careful about uh, about what we have. Um, careful about too many sweets, or too many fried things, or whatever it is that 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 affects our body, right? In in different ways. Mm. Um, and in other places, Prabhupada, you know, speaking to his disciples privately, would say, "Well, just." said, little chubby is good for health, just little, you know, it gives you a little extra energy. And another time, a devotee who was kind of heavyset wanted to take sannyas, and Prabhupada looked at him very jokingly, he said, you are, you are fat, you are not fit for sannyas, <laughs> like that. And we see Srila Prabhupada exercise daily, right, he went on those long, vigorous morning walks, right? And then took massage, which is also very good for one's health. Right. So he actually took, and considering the austerities and his age, he took, you know, and the difficulties of jet lag and all that, um, he, he actually took quite good care of his health. And every letter, I hope this meets you in good health, yeah. your ever well-wisher. Right? Every letter. So we should um uh, be uh, mindful and also if we if we're like the ages that a lot of you are in uh, if you take care of your health now properly then um, you'll be very happy that you did that when you get older because otherwise when we get old we're trying to catch up on all those years of neglect (laughs) Yeah. so and and Vishenav Chakravarti Thakur says that um, that the exercise for a sadhu is to walk. Walking is a very good exercise for a sadhu. So if we can do that, if we can find a place to walk, and we can either have our beat chant or we could uh, have our headphones in and listen to something spiritually uplifting as we're walking. And you know, I was just also reading even people who've been studying. Um, Alzheimer's um, and the, the uh, lessening of one's uh, uh, ability to brain brain to function properly um, say that you know certain diets along with at least three times a week of 45 minute brisk walk can cut down on the possibility of getting that dramatically and obviously Prabhupada walk Briskly, because some of his twenty-somethings disciples couldn't keep up with him, <laughs> and he's just a very he wasn't a tall body. Yeah. Anything on health or okay? The home. Now remember that Devahuti, of course, you know, because we would normally, and it says there in the purport that normally uh, it's just so nice if if the women if women in general are under. Really nice care of very good people. They're good, a, a well meaning father, not a Kali Yuga father, a well meaning father, a well meaning husband, a well meaning elder son, right? Here we don't have that situation actually. The son also says goodbye, right? But look what she was left with. She wasn't left, you know, she had maid servants, she had a, a very nice place to stay, she didn't have to worry about. It. Something to eat or anything, right? She wasn't that. She was totally alone. All the things that, uh, or at least some of the things that Kardamuni had created from his mm-hmm. mystic powers before he left were still there. Although she was living an austere life within that opulence, she wasn't alone. So, um, obviously, Kapila Muni, as a supreme personality of God, had had his reasons for leaving, but didn't leave her bereft. The home and household paraphernalia of Kardama, who was one of the Prajapatis, was developed in such a way by dint of his mystic powers of austerity and yoga that his opulence was sometimes envied by those who travel in outer space in airplanes, meaning the demigods. The opulence of the household of Kardama Muni is described herein. The bed sheets and mattresses were all as white as the foam of milk, the chairs and benches were made of ivory. Now, of course, today that would be politically incorrect, right? But uh, first of all, there were many elephants in those days. And uh, one would assume that they didn't have to necessarily be killed you know, or they died naturally or whatever. Um, but yes, it would be politically incorrect today to have anything ivory in your home, actually, right? Or even illegal. Um, and were covered by cloths of lace with golden filigree and the couches were made of gold and had very soft pillows. Any householders here have um, couches made of gold? (laughs) If you do, we're going to break into your house and sell the gold and build a new temple. (laughs) The walls of the house were made of first-class marble decorated with valuable jewels. There was no need of light, for the household was illuminated by the rays of these jewels. Imagine that. The female members of the household were all amply decorated with jewel, with jewelry. Okay, so again, she wasn't left bereft. The compound of the main household was surrounded by beautiful gardens with sweet fragrant flowers and many trees which produced fresh fruit and were tall and beautiful. The attraction of such gardens was that singing birds would sit on the trees and their chanting voices as well as the humming sound of the bees made the whole atmosphere as pleasing as possible. When Devahuti would enter that lovely garden to take her bath in the pond filled with lotus flowers, the associates of the dead instance of heaven, so she definitely wasn't alone, right? Uh, Gandharvas would sing about Kardama's glories glorious household life. Her great husband, Kartama, gave her all protection at all times. Oh, is this referring back to, this is actually referring back to when they were married. Yeah, sorry, my apologies for the wrong assumption. Referring back to that time. Although her position was unique from all points of view, uh, saintly Devahuti, in spite of all her possessions, which were envied even by the ladies of the heavenly planets, gave up all such comforts. She was only sorry that her great son was separated from her. Devahuti's husband had already left home and accepted the renounced order of life. And then her only son, Kapila, left home. Although she knew all the truths of life and death, and although her heart was cleansed of all dirt, she was very aggrieved at the loss of her son, just as a cow is affected when her calf dies. And Prabhupada writes that the example given here is that Devahuti became just like a cow who had lost, has lost her calf. A cow bereft of her calf cries day and night. Similarly, Devahuti was aggrieved and she also cried and requested her friends, so she was with friends and relatives, please bring my son home so that I may live, otherwise I shall die. This intense affection for the Supreme Personality of Godhead, although manifested as affection for one's own son, is spiritually beneficial. Okay, so she was in actually deep spiritual consciousness. So this is a very this comes up more in the next few verses, but we'll mention it now. Very important point. That although she heard all about this intricate philosophy of Sankhya, right, and 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 the adverse effects of of karmic behavior and this and that, the conclusion is her love for her son, who's the supreme personality of God. So, Vatsalya Pav. So, her conclusion is totally bhakti, even though she heard all this can. Her conclusion, totally bhakti. It's a very significant point, actually, and it's the conclusion of this entire canto. Hmm? And then Prabhupada makes it very easy for all ladies. He says, every woman can qualify herself as much as Devahuti and then can also have the supreme Godhead as her son. <laughs> Next verse. Ovidura, this is Maitreya speaking. Thus, always meditating upon her son, the supreme personality of Godhead Kapila, she very soon became unattached to her nicely decorated home. So she st- I was right. She still had her nicely decorated home, but she was not attached to it. purport. Here is a practical example of how one can elevate oneself in spiritual advancement in Krishna consciousness by Krishna consciousness. Kapiladev is Krishna and he appeared as the son of Devahuti. After Kapiladev left home, Devahuti was absorbed and thought of him and thus she was always Krishna conscious. Her constant situation in Krishna consciousness enabled her to be detached from hearth and home unless we are able to transfer our attachment to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, there is no possibility of becoming freed from material attachment so this is that whole point about the higher taste right? that that's the only way you can give up ultimately and that's why Bhakti is so much more powerful than Gyan, Ashtanga, Yoga, Karma etc because we're replacing Our material desires, replacing our material activities with spiritual desires, spiritual activities. Uh, I was just uh, talking to a uh, a professor at MIT about this. In in it's on a material, it's on a not fully spiritual level. They were talking about. um, um, You're familiar with this term, implicit bias. Right. You know, you, just, you see a certain person from a certain culture uh, or a certain dress or you, you make an assumption about them. She, she gives the example. This was in 1973. Uh, she was with her son in, um, and they went into the doctors. They were going, I think, to the emergency room. Her son had some issue. And she looked around the room and uh, said, oh, the doctor must not be here yet. And her little son uh, pointed to one of the women in a white thing. and said, "Why don't you think she's a doctor?" <laughs> right. And so he, the the bias was that only men were doctors, right? So, uh, and how we have a lot of negativity in this world. So this professor was saying how one way to practice that it, it it's not just trying it's not just a I really like this because it applies so much to the Bhagavad Gita. She said, she said, it's not, the Professor, it's not just a question of um, theoretically understanding that we shouldn't have these bias. And then she came up with the idea, what she, she actually termed, coined this phrase, a very famous professor, uh, micro-affirmations that always try to find the good in someone. And even say that to them. Oh, the way you do this is such so nice, and just filling people with affirmations instead of the opposite, which is microaggressions or micro inequities. They call it right. So her point was basically prom just, that if you fill with micro, if you if you could create in the an atmosphere in a group of people that are making af- micro affirmations instead of microaggressions or or uh, bias statements. Uh, that will change, not just theoretically understanding, no, I shouldn't be biased, I should treat everyone equally, right, like that. And so I was thinking, and I told her, well, that's right out of the Bhagavad Gita. That's right out of Chapter 2, Verse 59 of the Gita, in which Prabhupada is referring to uh, here, right? That. And so that's what we have to remember. We... Um, We do have this philosophical understanding. We're not this body. The material world is a place of misery, etc., etc., etc. Those things are important to know philosophically, but we also have to act on the beauty of Krishna consciousness and get that higher taste. And then those other understandings of the material world, they almost come automatically. Uh, um, That causelessly, without endeavor, one gets the detachment that we're hearing Devahuti has uh... and the knowledge it, it, it goes uh... Geary Govardhan Prabhu gave a really nice class if you, if you even if you can't make it here on saturday every saturday morning he gives a thematic class and he studies for it and prepares for it and does a powerpoint presentation it's on um, it's recorded on mayapur.tv you know it's you can listen to it live so i was um, uh... dealing with a health issue at home so i couldn't come to the temple but i was listening and he was um, talking, uh, he, he was talking about uh, numinous and what's the other word that the opposite of numinous? Phenomena, Phenomen- yeah, yeah. Uh, pheno- phen- Phenomena and numinous or, or gan and vigyan, right? So our vigyan, you know, knowledge we understand, we, can, we get knowledge of, like, for example, we're not this body, but when we act on that, and we uh, develop our devotion to Krishna then it becomes a part of us And that's what we really need because material energy is just too distracting and too attractive you know if we're just going to try with our spiritual muscle and our intelligence and our willpower to not give in that's not going to work we actually have to, we're rasa-vai-saha, we're, we're pleasure-seeking by nature So we have to fill our lives with spiritually pleasurable things to actually um, not be attracted to the other things of this world.
3: Yeah.
0: I'm trying to decide if we should try to finish this chapter or not in 12 minutes because there's not only a few more purports to read. Let's see. Thereafter, having heard with great eagerness and all detail from her son Kapila, the eternally smiling personality of Godhead, uh, Devahuti began to meditate constantly upon Vishnu form of the Supreme Lord. She did so with serious engagement and devotional service. Because she was strong in renunciation, she accepted only the necessities of the body. She became situated in knowledge due to the realization of the supreme truth, absolute truth. Her heart became purified. She became fully absorbed in meditating on the, upon the Supreme Personality of Godhead and all misgivings due to the modes of material nature disappeared. It reminds me of time I was with this one I won't mention who it is, this one sannyasi, and we were staying at somebody's house, and they had decorated this, made this bed with so many pillows and, and, and everything, and he, he just took one sheet and put it on the ground next to the bed, and he slept there the next day, and the people who owned the house for came back the next day, and they saw this sheet on the floor. She was more happy (coughs) on the floor. Her mind became completely uh, engaged in the Supreme Lord, and she automatically realized the knowledge of the impersonal Brahman. As a Brahman realized soul, she was freed from the designation of the materialistic concept of life. Thus all material pangs disappeared, and she attained transcendental bliss. So of course, here's a wonderful example of a woman becoming a, uh, a great, great, great devotee of the Lord. Um, another significant point in this verse, in the purport, is that one has to, to observe, this is, this is the third paragraph, the prescribed rules and regulations, as confirmed in Bhagavad Gita, yukta hara When one engages in devotional service in Krishna consciousness, he still has to eat, sleep, defend, and mate because these are necessities of the body. But he performs such activities in a regulated way. He has to eat Krishna prasad. He has to sleep according to regulated principles. So um, he has to keep his body fit. Uh, So Gopal Krishmaras was making a really nice point the other day. Uh, yesterday, last night, he was, he was installing, the, not installing, but welcoming these deities to, uh, to these devotees' homes and uh, he said, so, you know, it was like, I don't know, maybe a hundred devotees there? And he said, how many of you have deities at home? And many people raised their hands, right? And he said, how many of you bathe the deities every day? And I was the only one who raised my hand. I don't bathe the deities every day, but my wife does. My wife, because we have Gary overdone. No one else raised their hand. And then he said, "How many? How many of you bathe yourself once a day?" (laughs) Said so. He said, "How many of you, you know, give the deities prashad every day?" Most of them. He said. He he said, "Well, like once a day." Many people said yes. He said, "How many times a day do you eat?" (laughs) So. He said absolute minimum once a week, changing the outfit, you know, and no plastic flowers, you know. All bogus, you know. He said, Krishna is a person. That was the main thrust of his lecture. Krishna is a person. Are you there? No? Okay. Uh, it was, you know, so it was good you know, to remember. Yeah. Um. Text 27. Situated in eternal trance and freed from illusion impelled by the modes of material nature, she forgot her material body just as one forgets his different bodies in a dream. So we just heard that the devotee takes care of their body, but it's just not the the focus of their identity. Their focus is their Krishna's eternal servant. Her body was. Uh, being taken care of by the spiritual damsels created by her husband Kardama, and since she had no mental anxiety at the time her body did not become thin she appeared just like a fire surrounded by smoke and it's interesting Prabhupada says that in Ayurveda it says that if one is free from anxieties he generally becomes fat <laughs> Devahuti being situated in Krishna consciousness had no mental anxieties and therefore her body did not become thin so, anyway, we should not be in material anxieties and we should not get too overweight <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> but her point, but her, yeah, that's right. Because she was always absorbed in the thought of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, she was not aware that her hair was sometimes loosened or her garments were disarrayed. My dear Vidura, by following the principles instructed by Kapila, Devahuti soon became liberated from material bondage and she achieved the supreme personality of Godhead as super soul without difficulty. The palace where Devahuti achieved her perfection, my dear Vidura, is understood to be a most sacred spot. It is known all over the three worlds as Siddhapada. Dear Vidura, the material elements of her body have melted into the water, and are now a flowing river, which is the most sacred of all rivers. Anyone who bathes in that river also attains perfection, and therefore all persons who desire perfection go and bathe there." So this is uh, Ganga Sagara, at the mouth of the Ganges in, um, uh, outside of Calcutta. Right. My dear Vidura, the great sage Kapila, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, left his father's hermitage with the permission of his mother and went towards the northeast. While he was passing in the northern direction, all the celestial dendigods, known as Charnas and Gandharvas, as well as the Munis and the damsels of the heavenly planets, prayed and offered him all respects. The ocean offered him oblations and a place of residence. And there, there's talk about uh, Ganga Sagar in the purport. Even now, Kapila Muni is staying there in trance for the deliverance of all conditioned souls in the three worlds, And all the Acharyas or great teachers of the system of Sankhya philosophy are worshipping him. My dear son, since you have inquired from me, I have answered. O sinless one, the descriptions of Kapila, Dave, and his mother and their activities are the purest of all pure discourses. The description of the dealings of Kapila, Dave, and his mother is very confidential. And anyone who hears or reads this narration becomes a devotee of the supreme personality of Godhead was carried by Garuda and he therefore enters into the abode of the supreme lord to engage in the transcendental loving service of the lord so there's your benediction for having gone through the whole third canto <laughs> you'll be uh, uh, you'll be blessed to become a devotee of the supreme personality of godhead and then enter into the abode of the lord and engage in transcendental loving service Lord Dev ki jai. Mother Devahuti ki jai. Kardamamuni ki jai. Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai. Srila Prabhupada ki jai. Premanandi. So we have five minutes. Uh, we have to discuss what we're going to do next. So should we just go straight into the fourth canto? Um, are you game for that?
4: Yes. Why don't you do an overview of what what you see coming in the fourth. To do
0: an overview of the third canto or the fourth canto? Fourth.
4: Of what you see coming
0: up. That would be nice. It's another huge canto. Yeah, it's another huge canto. Uh, the biggest cantos in the Bhagavatam, the biggest one is the tenth canto. And then I think the 11th canto, then 3rd and 4th are in competition. And I think the 12th is probably the smallest. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So let's, yeah, but uh, we should, uh, so for those of you who uh, have attended at least 50% of the classes, please email me and we will print out a certificate. Um, And, uh, okay, so an overview of the 4th canto. Yeah, it's a good idea. Okay, Hare Krishna, all glory to Srila Prabhupada.